What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today, we are talking about WeWork and analyzing the company's prospects for an IPO. This has been all over the financial media. Uh, WeWork, one of the hottest and highly most highly valued startups in the world, recently released a public S1 document going under the hood, detailing all of their financials and business practices um, in preparation of going public. Um, since that was has been met with a ton of scrutiny, um, uh, particularly because of the valuation uh, that WeWork was rumored to price this deal at, just to give you a little context on the story, um, WeWork in its last funding round was valued at a valuation of $47 billion. And so when we got to look under the hood at the financials, uh, you know, people were seeing huge, huge losses for a company that's, you know, valued at 20 times sales. The public comp is trading for about one and a half times sales. This combined with a weird share structure and all these weird dealings between the CEO basically caused the market to get spooked out about that valuation. Now news is coming out from the Wall Street Journal saying WeWork wants to cut its planned valuation in half to potentially 25 billion, maybe even 20 20 billion or lower um, in this sort of reworked uh, public offering. They've actually released an updated S1. So this is going to be one of the most interesting stories to watch unfold in the business world over the coming months. You know, will WeWork even get this IPO off? In many ways, it's a symbol for this entire, you know, private uh, markets dissonance that we've seen where, you know, all these unicorn startups are getting huge valuations uh, with almost no attention to profitability or the financials. And now as they try and transition these companies into the public markets, we're seeing a lot more scrutiny. The public market are just not taking, uh, you know, not buying these these growth and vision stories as much as the private markets are. I mean, look at Uber. It was supposed to be IPOing at a valuation of 120 billion. Today is trading for a market cap around 50 billion. And so WeWork looks like they're setting up for something similar. Originally, my thoughts on the WeWork IPO were like, kind of everybody's in tech and finance, like, oh my God, this is, you know, absurd. This is ridiculous. Like, look at how crazy this is. You know, I think that's an easy hot take and I fell victim to it at first, but I think there's really two sides to the WeWork story. And on one hand, you have a product that is being used by hundreds of thousands of people um, that cu customers love, that is changing the workplace, that has inspired tons and tons of copycats because it's such a, you know, fascinating business model and reinvention of the workplace. I mean, people love WeWork. I used WeWork for a while. Um, I, I loved it. I thought it was an awesome experience. I mean, there's a reason why this has grown so successfully and so quickly um, because I think the product that they're actually selling is really good and there is something to the vision they are building here. We're, I'll get into the criticism later, but the, the real bull thing or gets me excited about it is this idea that setting up and creating an office is should not be a core competency of every company. If you're a large company, you have to sign a huge lease. You have to start buying all these chairs. You have to design your office. You have to decide how to arrange it. I mean, these are kind of simple and standardized things in a way that an expert should come in and do instead of every company trying to relearn and trying to build their best workplace from scratch every single time. And it just makes sense for me uh, from, from a high level perspective to outsource this skill. So in many ways, I think there's a fundamental change in the status quo in that designing offices is something that should be outsourced, but that is not being outsourced by the bulk of companies. And this is a huge shift towards companies like WeWork who know how to do this. And I think a potentially huge untapped market. And so this is a really, really exciting opportunity to fundamentally change the way we work. And I think WeWork is actually onto something. Without further ado, let's just dive into the S1 and get started about you know how WeWork describes himself as a business. So this is page one. Our story, we are a community company committed to maximum global impact. Our mission is to elevate the world's consciousness. A little bit corny, I know. We have built a worldwide platform that supports growth, shared experiences, and true success. We provide our members with flexible access to beautiful spaces, a culture of inclusivity, and the energy of an inspired community, all connected by our extensive technology infrastructure. We believe our company has the power to elevate how people work, live, and grow. 
In early 2010, we opened our doors to our first member community at 154 Grand Street in New York City. In the beginning, our members consisted mostly of freelancers, startups, and small businesses. Over the past nine years, we have rapidly scaled our business while honoring our mission. Today, our global platform integrates space, community, services, and technology in over 528 locations in 111 cities across 29 countries. Our 527,000 memberships represent global enterprises across multiple industries, including 38% of the global Fortune 500. We are committed to providing our members around the world with a better uh, day at work for less. This entire concept of making the workplace better and saving companies while they do it, that's the mission. That is their service at a super high level. And I mean, I got to hand it to them. The growth has been impressive. Uh, they have expanded now in over 111 cities, like they said, hundreds of thousands of memberships and over 50% of this is international. So WeWork is really, really establishing themselves as a global co-working hub. And I think this global first mover advantage point is very key because if you're a huge company with employees all around the globe, with employees who want to travel all around the globe having offices all around the globe is huge and key for that and that's why i do think there is something uh, for weworks to be said for weworks global scale and the network advantages that come along with that when attracting enterprise clients of course it wouldn't be you know a new crazy sexy startup if they weren't doing something as a service so we work of course doing space as a service so they say we pioneer space as a service membership model that offers the benefits of a collaborative culture the flexibility to scale workplace up and down as needed and the power of a worldwide community all for a lower cost. We start by looking at space differently as a place to bring people together, build community and enhance productivity. Philosophically, we believe in bringing comfort and happiness to the workplace. We employ over 500 designers and architects who work relentlessly to create spaces that are beautiful but simple elevated but approachable, global yet locally unique, all delivered at a high quality without the associated expense. And I think, you know, as much as that sounds like some mumbo jumbo and BS, what, what, I, what I'm trying to get there and why I chose to highlight this part is because this is, a, this is a skill. Like they have 500 designers and architects building these offices that are experts at doing it. That is an in-house talent that every single other company needs. So I really do think there is some meat and some value that WeWork service provides. And here's what they, they dive down into the cost of, of everything. They show that by doing it with WeWork because they're better at it because it's standardized, they can re result in dramatic cost savings than rather than trying to do it on, you know, your, your build out your own office space approach. And here they show, you know, 57% savings, potentially 66% savings uh, when, when incorporating build out costs. Then um, the, the other thing that I think is a really important fundamental shift in WeWork's business is the shift to enterprise clients. They are moving here. You can see that chart from 20% to 40% worth of enterprise membership. And that is what's driving that huge growth in the revenue backlog. These enterprise customers are signing up for much longer term contracts. And I think this in, in a broader level is changing the biggest criticism of WeWork's business model, which is an asset liability mismatch. And that is changing slowly as enterprises become a bigger piece of the business. It's less these weird startups and they sign longer deals. Here, WeWork shows us a little bit about how they think about the addressable market they're attacking. Uh, $1.7 trillion opportunity in just the 111 cities they're in uh, today, um, which is about a, a $0.9 trillion addressable market opportunity when you factor in how many savings they're going to have, um, 149 million addressable population. And then in their target 280 cities, once they expand, they think there is a $1.6 trillion addressable market for WeWork alone. So the point they're saying here is they have room to get way, way bigger. The reason why they're investing and losing money is because this business has potential to get 10, maybe even a hundred times bigger from a revenue standpoint from here, if they get, you know, if dominate the whole market or whatever. And so that is why they're investing so much in growth. Now, moving on to the structure, and this is where I'm going to start getting a little bit more critical in that, you know, I love the product and sort of the, the vision of WeWork on a lot of levels, but then you get into the structure with what they're doing with the company and it's so, so weird. So 
I don't know if you guys are making more sense out of this than me, but they have the Wii Company, which investors invest in, which owns the Wii Company LLC, which owns which has a stake in the Wii Company Partnership, or is a general partner in the Wii Company Partnership, which owns the WeWork Companies LLC, which owns an umbrella of different firms, which has wholly owned operations, Asian joint venture operations, a global real estate portfolio, um, or anyway, so it's extremely complicated. And it gets even more hairy than that. When you look into the share structure, there's three classes of stock I'm super, super frustrated by this, you know, Evan Spiegel of Snapchat. This is something I didn't write in the Snapchat episode, but they they have this structure where they basically dominate. They have monopolistic power over the voting power with these weird different clash of shares. Zuckerberg has a similar thing with Facebook. I just don't like it. Like for hyperchange, for my LLC, it's just like one common stock. You know, everybody has the same shares, the same rights. Each share has one vote. Well, look at what WeWork does. They do, they're pulling a snap. They're pulling a Facebook just as bad. Uh, class B and C shareholders, uh, you know, each, vo- each uh, class B, and C common stock gets 20 votes per share, while class A common stock gets one vote per share. So the shares you're buying, common stock, A, of course, the one that has way less votes. So Adam Newman has 20 times the voting power per share, and he actually is going to control the majority of this company even after they go public, um, or that's what it's looking like because of this really weird structure. So I am personally not a fan of this at all. You know, I just think making it apples to apples, every share gets one vote. Why do we do this weird, messy, I don't know. So I think this is a, a red flag, to say the least. Beyond this, there are a couple other red flags, which I think are worth mentioning and looking into, which is like the Wii Company trademark. So WeWork acquired the Wii Company trademark for about $6 million from Adam Newman himself. So the founder and CEO of the company sells a trademark he made to his own company for $6 million. Apparently, he has paid that money back, and they took it out of the new S1. So they're reversing course on that a little bit, but that just seemed kind of weird and scratching my head. Additionally, he sold hundreds of million worth of stock, also taken out loans for hundreds of millions of dollars um, against his WeWork equity position. He still has a ton of WeWork stock and is the largest shareholder, but he has cashed out hundreds of millions worth. What does he use that money to do? On some level, he's been buying a bunch of properties and then leasing them back to WeWork. So that may sound like a very weird, scary double dipping thing at first, which is what I thought. But when you actually look at it from a step back, trying to look at both sides, it is only a very small percentage of WeWork's portfolio that they're doing this leasing thing with. And he did that a long time ago when, according to him and the company, it was much difficult, much more difficult to convince landlords that WeWork was a good tenant. So landlords and real estate people weren't convinced at all. So their only way to do this was like, I actually think it's in some ways a brilliant financial engineering move is that it really is the case. Then say, look, Adam Newman, I'm going to take a loan against my equity of WeWork, buy the building, lease that back to us, improve our credit, grow the company, and sort of help us out on honestly taking personal financial risk in many ways to, to go out of his way to help we work the company. So I think there's two ways to look at that. Um, and, and I think reading, you know, just running with these headlines of, oh my God, he sold 700 million worth of stock in the IPO. I was watching this uh, interview with Dan Primark, or I think, uh, who went on CNBC and did this really good job of explaining it, which was like, look, according to our reporting, he hasn't sold any stock since 2017. He's not planning on selling anything into the IPO. This, this is 700 million in total amount he's gotten from the company between loans, which he did use to buy those properties and lease back and stock he cashed out. So I don't know. I'm sort of torn on this because I also read this article that's like he's got all these huge homes. He's got a home in San Francisco worth $20 million with a room shaped like a guitar. He has like a 60 acre, you know, place in upstate New York. So I'm like, on one hand, this guy has fuck you money. What's the concept of fuck you money? If you have over $25 million, maybe $50 million um, it, personally, then you just don't care what happens as a CEO of your company because no matter what, you're already so rich, it doesn't matter. And so this guy already has way past that threshold. He probably has a couple hundred million in the bank. And so, man, I, I watched a bunch of videos of Adam Newman and 
frankly, like, like to do research for this, and I'll put a couple links in the description. I mean, the dude is incredibly charismatic. I think he, he, he's like kind of like ADD talks fast and is like on some levels, I'm like, is he a genius or is he tweaking out? Like, I don't, he's incredibly passionate, incredibly charismatic, like a unique, uh, I, I don't know what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is the dude is wicked smart and gives and gives off this vibe of visionary, you know, like legit real deal founder. And I think that's why he's been able to woo SoftBank. That's why he's raised the billions. That's why they're a unicorn. It kind of pisses me off that he sold so much stock. But on one hand, I'm like, man, this guy is kind of a brilliant CEO and a really amazing leader that I could see actually taking this thing all the way. He served for five years in the Israeli army. I mean, he's been an entrepreneur all his life. He's working. He's been working on this WeWork thing for a decade. You know, he's not a joke. Like this guy is putting, he, he is on many levels, the real deal. And so um, anyway, move, that, that that's kind of a long-winded rant on my conflicted feelings about the management team, Adam Newman, this weird structure. Um, so, so much to unpack here. But what I wanted to get into next here is the financials, because this is, I think, where sort of the rubber meets the road. And a lot of these thoughts get a lot, and you know, my feelings about the company get a lot more negative. Welcome to Hypercharts World. Um, this is, you can go to hypercharts.co slash we. We put up all the WeWork financials um, so you can ch check it out and play with them yourself. I actually estimated that. We're going to get to that in a sec. Um, so this is WeWork. As you can see, memberships, uh, you know, skyrocketing pretty strongly, 527,000 as of Q2. Um, but let's go to the revenue and operating income. So you can see huge losses. This is the trend of WeWork. Huge, huge losses and they're growing. It's not even, I don't know. So the company is losing an absurd amount of money. I mean, they did, you know, 870 million in revenue, but they lost 729 million. So for every dollar in revenue they bring in, they actually lose a dollar. So it, not a great business so far. But then on the other hand, you do have rapidly improving profitability on some levels with exploding gross profit. And so, but, you know, this isn't about the gross profit of the operating income. It's all about top line growth. That's the story for WeWork, 800 million. We're looking at over a $3 billion revenue run rate. But now let's get a little bit deeper into what's happening here. The gross margins of the business are improving, like I said. So this is probably the most encouraging sign here, but still very, very low. I mean, this is a company, like I said, that at 20 billion, if they were to IPO, is at like 10 or, you know, 50... I guess 3 billion run right now. So like seven times sales, you know, six times sales, but it's a business that is trading at 20, but it's a business that does 20% gross margins, super, super low gross margins. So that's important to keep in mind. Operating margin, we're not seeing any improvement. So as they grow, as they scale, we're not seeing any underlying margin improvement. I think that's kind of a red flag. So now let's move into the estimates. So now I'm going to go to my estimates tab and I put in, this is a new feature we did for hypercharts. Um, you can type in estimates. So I can edit my estimates. It's basically like financial modeling. Um, really cool. You can go to hypercharts.co uh, if you want to check it out. And I'm actually going to share the link to my financial model so you guys can all check it out. It'll be in the description of this video. Anyway, so I estimated WeWork's financials out until 2021 because I was like, what is it going to take for this company to get profitable? And I came to the conclusion that is an absurd amount of stuff. So as you can see, these are my estimated financials. Continued huge growth. Huge, huge improvements in the losses. Still not profitable, but huge improvements in the losses. And of course, exploding gross profit as I gave them some gross margin improvement as well. But what's really happening here? I tried to estimate that if they, okay, continuing their trajectory of expenses and then assuming their expenses stay flat for every single quarter throughout 2021, literally flat expenses, no growth in any of their SG&A or operating expenses at all. And I improved and I assumed improving gross margins, significantly improving gross margins all the way up to 28% by the end of 2021. Even with that, 
They still can't get to profitability in Q4 2021. They'll be doing 2.7 or 2.8 billion in revenue, but they'll still be losing $185 million. And this is assuming that I kept their expenses flat. So this is just kind of a little exercise I wanted to show you of, of, of just walking through I think it's helpful to I think it's helpful to just play around with this and show you guys that even assuming these huge improvements, even assuming they stop spending, like this business just isn't going to make money for an extremely long time and I just don't think the economics of the business are that good. So, even without my estimates, just to go back to it, to sum up WeWork, we have ex booming losses um although we do have booming revenue growth as well. And, you know, to sum up my my thoughts on WeWork, I think it's really easy to sort of say, oh my gosh, this $47 billion valuation is absurd. WeWork's a joke. Adam Newman's doing all this double dealing. I think that's a lazy analysis. Um, on the other hand, to just give them the benefit of the doubt and say they're extremely rapidly growing, they're disrupting the co-working space, I think is a little too much. I think the truth lies somewhere in between. And what, what I think the biggest and most valid criticism is of WeWork, and this is what the rubber meets the road, this is brass tacks, this is the only thing that matters, is the asset liability mismatch. This is a really uh, brilliant criticism that I think people are, are giving to WeWork that I don't, I'm not fully convinced they're going to overcome, which is WeWork is signing super long-term leases on huge buildings, super long-term liabilities, yet their members are on super short-term durations of rent. So it's asset liability mismatch. Their their liabilities are super long-term, their assets are super short-term. What's How is the rubber going to meet the road here? If all these startups that are WeWork's customers in a recession go bankrupt and they stop paying rent, WeWork still got to pay their rent, but all their customers just died. And so that's how WeWork becomes financially insolvent really, really quick in a potential recession if all their customers leave. So this is the downward death spiral asset liability mismatch, but I think it's a brilliant analysis and critique of WeWork and personally a reason why I wouldn't really feel comfortable owning this stock or am not yet because I just think there's a really good chance they go bankrupt in the ne next recession because of that. But like I said, that switch to enterprise customers, that switch to much longer term deals, to the Wii operating system, to building, you know, offices for IBM and, and for huge companies, I think is going to become a much bigger and bigger business. And I think there is a fundamental change in the way people work that it, that WeWork has hit the nail on the head on and they are a first mover. And I think in the future, every single firm will outsource the curation and management and structure of its offices to a firm like WeWork. And I think that firm, whether it's WeWork or not has the potential to be a huge, huge business. And so in the, the, the business of optimizing space with technology and putting value add services on top of it, I think has a lot, you know, the way we use real estate is inefficient, whether it's working, whether it's living, they have, we live. I mean, I think to say they aren't knocking on a huge opportunity is wrong. Like I want to, you know, they have half a million people using their service that go to work at WeWork every day. I mean, they're doing something right. They are making billions of dollars in revenue. They are in 100 cities or 111 cities already. Um, they are making it more fun for people to work. Like, I, I don't know. I think that's maybe it's kind of corny, but like this whole idea of like we, the community, the vibes, the culture matters, like making working fun, making people want to go to work, to be at work, like. I like that, you know, my whole mission of like invest in a future you believe in, like I want to believe in a future where everyone's pumped to go to work. Everyone's happy. Like the I've been in a WeWork. It's nine. It's 10 times more fun than almost every other office you go into because it's bright. The offices are nice. Everybody's, you know, having fun. It seems like there's cold brew. I don't know. The water has cucumbers. Like, I don't know. I guess it seems lame, but I, I think there there's something about the WeWork product that I like. And so, um, I don't know. This is, I think, one of the most interesting stories on Wall Street to follow right now. I'm not touching this. I wouldn't touch it for 
almost any valuation, frankly, maybe like $5 billion you could get me interested. But I think $20 billion is personally, personally too expensive for me because I think the comps are low. You know, isn't this really just a real estate business? Yes. So why are we paying, you know, so many times sales? I don't know. Anyway. This is my, I try to do a sort of two-sided review of, of the upcoming WeWork IPO. Going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. Would love to know what your comments are. Leave them below. Um, also, a side note, HyperChange has launched a Clips channel. This is one of the things I've been working on because, uh, you know, I do super long podcasts, super long episodes sometimes, and I think there's like one or two minute clips that get, get lost. And so I shout out to Aaron, who's been helping me on this and is editing videos, repurposing my uh, content for the Clips channel. So if you want to do me a favor, you should definitely go subscribe to the clips channel leave a comment me and Aaron will check it out and we want to make that as good as possible for you to get you more hyperchange content in more ways so hyperchange uh hyperclips you can check it out anyway this is hyperchange thank you so much for tuning in shout out to our patreon supporters and producers for funding the channel as always i'll see you guys next time peace